And uh, she doesn't need an introduction anymore. She's be, just become part of, of our congregation. But what the heck, let's give her an introduction. I'd like to introduce to you, what am I? I love this lady. The anointing on her is so powerful. This is Brenda Salter McNeil. Be blessed. <laughs> It is always my joy and it's always my honor to be here at Woodland Hills Church. So I greet you in the name of the Lord. I thank you so much for your receptivity to my ministry with you. I realize that God's ability to speak through me and impact you has as much to do with your openness and your receptivity as it does with my open-heartedness and my desire to serve you. And so thank you for being a congregation who allows per people like me to come in and visit and share my heart and that you're open to the Word of God. I really do appreciate that. I am always intrigued in Scripture when it says that there were places that Jesus could not accomplish what he had gone to do, that he couldn't do miracles there. And I know that wasn't because Jesus wasn't powerful enough. No, that wasn't the problem. Jesus was a bad boy. <laughs> Where Jesus wasn't able to do what he'd come there to do was because the people wouldn't allow it because of the lack of their faith. And so I salute you because you are open to the word of God. And that is an honor to, uh, to, to come and serve and preach to people like you. Let me just say in quick passing that I brought some ministry resources with me because I've been challenged by God and people who know me well to know that there is a need for me to duplicate myself. I can only be in one place at a time, and uh, if God gives me grace, I'm going to be in less places because I've got children and all of that stuff, and I need to do more work of writing and preparing and creating things that can serve people when I'm not around. So you all know that I have a book. It's called The Heart of Racial Justice. For those of you who are interested in biblical reconciliation, I can commend this as one way to read yourself into an understanding of what God wants to do spiritually through God's people. And so this is a resource. I've got some DVDs uh, of messages about reconciliation from a biblical standpoint. If you're interested in that, there are DVDs and CDs out the table. My kids are with me this weekend and my husband. And so uh, if for nothing else, go say hi to the kids. <laughs> They are my tape table and my book table staff, and uh, Lord willing, they'll serve you well. And uh, if you purchase a book and if you'd like me to sign it, I'd be honored to do that. So right after service, I'll go out to the back and be happy to greet you there. Amen? Well, we did a prayer seminar on Friday night, <clears throat> and it was good. Amen. God blessed us and met us there, and I really thank God for those of you who came. Believe it or not, about 250 people came to the prayer seminar on Friday night, which was great. And uh, some people joined us from the sanctuary. And uh, that night, uh, Greg did some teaching uh, theologically to set the stage for what I came then and followed in a practical way to try to give some steps that we might take to be more adept at praying in ways that are effective. And I'd like to continue the theme of prayer this morning by preaching a sermon that I'm simply calling Operation Push. Pray until something happens. Let's pray together. Lord, as I open your word now, I declare that it is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. And my prayer this morning with these, my brothers and sisters, is that you would speak to us. We need a word from you. We need to hear from you. We don't have guidance or direction except you speak to us, Lord. So speak, Lord. Send your word. 
Breathe on us through your word and change our lives. For we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, would you use us as changed people to change the world? Could we be so bold and audacious as to ask you to help us to turn the world right side up? For we ask it now in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. I'm reading in John chapter 5, which does not appear at first glance to be a chapter or a text that has to do with prayer. But would you hear the word of God as I read from the New Revised Version of Scripture? I know that we have made a newfound commitment to bring our Bibles to church. So if you turn your Bibles to John chapter 5 and follow with me now as we give our full attention to the word of God. After this... There was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, which, is, which has five porticos, or por porches. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once, the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, the man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is always working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. This is the word of the Lord. And we're thankful for it. Amen. It was February 1990. And I was a mom of a newborn three-month-old baby. Omari Emmanuel McNeil had made his way into the world. 
and my husband was off at graduate school and I was home alone with the baby. I lived 3,000 miles away from my mom and my sister and all of my family, and so I was a rookie all by myself with a three-month-old baby trying to figure out how to be a mom. When the phone rang, I was in the process of feeding the baby, so I was startled and I looked a bit discombobulated as I tried to hold the baby in one arm, burping cloth on my shoulder, bottle under my chin, and I'm trying to hold the phone with the other hand. I looked a sight, really very uncoordinated. And so I was already overwhelmed and I became more so overwhelmed as I listened to the woman on the other end of the line. She explained that her name was Diane and that she attended my local church in Pasadena, California. She also said that because we were without a pastor at the time, she had heard me preach on several occasions and was impressed with what she saw of me from the pulpit. She had gotten the impression that I was a woman of God who believed in the power of prayer and she was calling me because she needed someone in a desperate situation who would pray for her son. She went on to explain that her son, Justin, who was eight years old, had been diagnosed with a very rare form of blood, cancer in his blood and that the doctors had done everything that they could do and they at that point had reached the end of their medical expertise. And she was hoping that I would come to the hospital and that I would pray for his healing. Well, I'm already feeling like I can't manage my own life, let alone anyone else's life. I'm thinking, I'm a new mom with a new baby. I, I, I'm, I'm already overwhelmed. And so I'm trying to think of how I can tell her no politely and nicely, but no. I have to be honest and also confess that I was probably scared to go. I know I was seminary trained. I was a minister of the gospel. I was preaching on a regular basis. Surely I should be able to go to the hospital and pray. But if the truth be told, not just me by myself, but many of us struggle with whether or not prayer really works. And we'll pray for people about things that we feel like, well, okay, I could pray about that, a headache and stuff like that, because if nothing happens, the worst that could happen, they have to take Tylenol. <laughs> but when you're at a place where someone says to you that everything is resting on your prayers, if the truth be told, I think there are more of us who really wrestle with whether or not we know how to pray effectively. And so I think I was using the fact that I had a new baby as an excuse not to go because this was a life and death situation. And when you're in those kinds of situations, it'll put your prayer life to the test. It's where the rubber meets the road and I was real aware that I wasn't as adept at prayer as I gave the impression that I was from the pulpit. But then I looked at that baby in my arms and I heard the desperation in that mother's voice on the other end of the line. And I thought to myself, if this little baby was sick and I called someone to come and pray, I would hope that they would come. 
even if they didn't know what to do and even if they didn't feel strong enough to do it, just out of concern for me and my family, I would hope that they would show up. So as I looked at my baby and thought about her baby, I agreed to show up. And so I made arrangements with someone to care for my three-month-old, and I made my way to Los Angeles Children's Memorial Hospital. Well, I walked in the room very quietly, and I was expecting to find a really, really, really sick little boy because based upon what his mother had described, I knew I was coming into a dire situation. And so I tried to bring my Bible. I was trying to look holy. I was tiptoeing holy and, you know, and, and <laughs> I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but whatever it was, it was going to be holy. I, I knew that. So I'm tipping in the room and I'm shocked by what I find. I walk into the hospital room, and as I walk in the room, I see a little boy who is bald completely with sunglasses popped on the top of his head, Dorito bag open on the side of him in the bed. He's munching and playing Nintendo furiously when I walk in. And I look at him, and my first thought is, he is cute. Lord, he's a cute little boy. And so I walked in, and he immediately put me at ease. I'm going to pray for him, and I walk in, and he helps me feel comfortable. And so I come in, I sit down on the bed with him, and I start to kick it. And I said, hey, Justin. And he says, hey, Reverend Brenda. He had seen me preach at church. And so we just start to hang out. And as I watch him, I start to see just what a lovely kid he is and how much fun he is. He was bad on that Nintendo. He was doing his thing. And so we had a great visit, and I agreed to come again, and I came again, and I came again. And in the course of my coming and visiting, often I began to have a transformation take place in my own heart. I don't exactly know when it happened, but I made this change from being a minister to becoming a mother. I was no longer clinically uh, invested because I should. Now I was deeply concerned as another parent, as a mother would be for her own son, and I wanted Justin well. I began to pray for Justin with everything that was inside of me. I pulled out all the stops as I prayed for this little boy's healing. I want you to know everything I knew to do, I did, and then some. I bound everything I could think to bind, I loosed everything that came to my mind to loose. I prayed in the spirit. I didn't pray in the spirit. I kneeled down. I stood up. I prayed with my hands raised. I prayed in silence. I anointed with oil. I didn't anoint with oil. I used holy water. I brought the book of common prayer. I want you to know if it was something to do, I tried it. I brought praise music. I bound things for generations. I cursed it at the root. And I want you to know that no matter what I did and didn't do, no matter what I tried, nothing seemed to give me the results that we were seeking God for in prayer. Oh, we had moments of remission, and Justin would get somewhat better, and he'd go home for a period of time, but then there'd be a relapse, and he'd have to come back to the hospital. And 
As the time went on, it was clear that he was becoming weaker and less vibrant, and I was becoming so, so, so desperate and so, so, so a desirous to see God move that I was just absolutely at my wit's end. And let me say parenthetically that getting at our wit's end is not a bad thing. Being driven to our extremities uh, is not always bad because our extremity becomes God's opportunity. Whenever we're in a place where we are desperate for God, if you ever search scripture, desperate people hold on to God. They hang on to God. They are not taking no for answers from anyone who says you can't get close to God. You can't touch him. There is something about desperation that very much gets us into the presence of God. And we're not playing around. And I wasn't kidding around. And so in my apartment, on my knees, in front of my couch, in complete desperation because I wanted to see God do something, I put my Bible out on the couch and I said, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me how to pray. In that moment of my desperation, I heard something come to my mind that I had forgotten. When I was in seminary, there was a person who came to teach a course, and his name was John Wimber. He was the founder of the Vineyard Churches, and he talked about this notion of doing what you see the Father doing from John chapter 5. So I furiously flipped my Bible with tears streaming down my face to John chapter 5 with the desire this time to really pay attention to what the Spirit had to say to the church regarding prayer. And as I turned to John 5, I encountered the text that I've read for you this morning. Here in the text, Jesus is passing by a thoroughfare in Jerusalem. This is a pathway that goes back and forth to the temple, and it's really busy because there's a festival coming, and many of the Jews are gathering in this area for this festival. Jesus has no doubt passed this place many, many, many times before on his way to and from the temple. And there are a host of invalid, uh, paralyzed, sick people who have come to gather around this particular place for two very important reasons. One, because there was a physical manifestation of God's presence that took place at this pool on an annual basis. They, they, they had some phenomenon that took place that troubled the water that stirred the water. And if you were in the pool when that supernatural phenomenon took place, you got healed. And so people gathered in wait in hopes that when that stirring of the water took place, they might be the one that was in the pool when it took place, when it happened. And so people gathered around for that reason. But that only happened once a year. So for the rest of the time, they were waiting on the alms of the people who came back and forth to the temple in Jerusalem. They were hoping on the generosity of people who passed by. They were hoping that if they saw their plight, someone might give them a coin or two that they might have food to eat and sustenance for that day. Much like the homeless people of our contemporary times who pick very uh, well-traveled corners to locate themselves because they're hoping that the more people who pass by, the more opportunities there might be for generosity. 
And so this is not a place that is obscure or off to the side. This is a major, thoroughly traveled, uh, well-populated um, place that Jesus is now having this encounter with this man. So Jesus has passed by here before. He's traveled this place before. And this man has been here before. But what happens today never happened before. Jesus has been by here, but he never talked to that guy before. This man has been here before, but he's never had an encounter with Jesus. So why today? Why today? Jesus passes by. There are all of these people sick, but Jesus doesn't talk to anybody but this one man. He doesn't talk to Sister 51 he doesn't talk to young man number 18. He doesn't talk to old man 63. He only talks to brother 38. The man who's been sick for 38 years is the only guy who has audience with Jesus today. Why today and why only him? Doesn't Jesus have compassion for the other people who are sick? Doesn't Jesus care about the other folks who are in horrible, dire situations? Isn't Jesus compassionate toward them all? Of course he is. But he only talks to one guy. So Jesus stops. And knowing that he's been there for a long time, he asks him what ought to be a rhetorical question. He asks him a question that is really a no-brainer. Everybody in this room I think, would have some idea of what the answer should be. The question is, do you want to be made well? Now, if you've been sick for 38 years and living on the generosity of other people, hoping that people will be benevolent toward you, and somebody stops you after 38 years of being in the same condition, and they say to you, would you like to be made well? What is the answer? Yes, unequivocally, yes, yes, of course, yes, yes. But that's not what the man says. Now, that interests me because I felt like you ought to say, yeah, Jesus is talking to you. I mean, you've been waiting around this pool and it's your day, dude. He's asking you a question. Say yes. But I've been in situations with people and you'll ask them a question. Do you want a job? And they've been out of work and you'll say, do you want a job? And they give you a long reason as to why they, their resume was rejected and what have you. feel like, you know what, just say, yes. yes, you want a job. You want your marriage to be restored. You know, I, I know that it was your, not your fault and all of the reasons I'm hearing, but would you like the marriage healed? Yes. You want to get off drugs. You start ready to stop living that way. You want to find your deliverance and your wholeness. There shouldn't be a long discussion about that. The answer's just supposed to be yes. yes. Between the first and second service, someone said something to me that helped me tremendously. He said, you know, sometimes when a person has been in a situation for such a long time, they lose the ability to believe that it's even possible anymore. When the marriage has been bad for so long, it's hard to hope that it could get better. You can be in a situation so long that you almost get used to living that way. 
And so instead of giving what seems to be the no-brainer answer, there is something in us that almost holds us back from saying, would you like to get off drugs? But because I've been living this way so long, it's almost as if it puts me in a place of not knowing, am I? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'd recognize myself outside of this situation of sitting around this pool. Jesus doesn't seem to be at all thwarted by this man's lack of giving the right answer. And that day on my knees in my living room, I got hope from this man's lack of the right answer. Because so many of us have been told that our ability to see our prayers answered has something to do with our faith. And there is something to be said for faith, let me be clear. But this notion that our prayers aren't answered because we didn't have enough faith, I want to stand up against that. I want to suggest to you that this is a man here who is not the model of faith. And that somebody said to me, Brenda, the reason why your prayers aren't being answered for Justin is because you don't have enough faith. I would have slapped him <laughs> really hard. <laughs> because I may not have had a mountain of faith, but I want you to know that if it takes a mustard seed grain of faith, I had that much. That much I had. And if it came down to formulas, and we've been told, you got to say it this way, you got to say it in Jesus' name. I want you to know I said it in Jesus' name, and I said it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I used every formula that I thought could work. And here we have a cat who don't have a formula and don't have a good answer. And God doesn't seem to pay him any attention. I got hope from that because I don't think that the move of God is solely dependent on us saying the right thing, doing the right thing, or believing the right thing. Ah, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I believe sometimes God is just plain sovereign. And so this dude says, I don't look. Let me explain what happens. I, the reason why I'm not healed, Jesus didn't ask him that, but he goes into this long explanation. The reason I'm not healed, you see, when I get ready to get into the pool, so he's already predetermined how his healing can happen. Jesus says, do you want to be well? And he thinks that that has to happen in the pool. Some of us limit how God can move because we think it has to happen in the pool. So he says, well, let me tell you why I can't get in the pool. I can't get in the pool because every time I get close, somebody else steps in front of me, gets in first, and that's why I've been around here unable to get in the pool for God. To do something in my life. Now, after 38 years, I submit to you, he could have scooted to the edge of the pool, <laughs> just dropped in. But, <laughs> but Jesus doesn't correct him. Jesus doesn't engage that. Jesus, the very next thing Jesus says to that man after he explains his long reasons for why he's not in the pool, Jesus said to him, Take up your mat and walk. Jesus' prayers are precise. Jesus' prayers are on target. Jesus' prayers are short. Jesus says a thing and declares a thing, and he is 100% accurate. The Bible says immediately that man stood up and walked. 
Jesus says things that are so precise and with such clarity that he doesn't take a long time having to declare a thing. He prays prayers like, take up your mat and walk. That's it. End of the prayer. He says to a raging storm, peace be. Come on, help me. Still. And it's quiet. That's the kind of prayers Jesus prays. Jesus says to a man possessed with demonic spirits, he says, come out. Period. End of prayer. I like him. I like him. My prayers were almost like a map quest for God. I'd say stuff like, Lord, you know he's in Children's Memorial Hospital. He's in bed A on the second floor, Lord God. And I mean, <laughs> I would describe the condition. Lord, you know what he has is on the left side, Lord God. And you got to do something about it. And then I'd talk to the devil. I ain't playing with you, Satan. I'm talking right to you. I mean, come out. Come out right now. Not next week. Not next month. I mean, right now. Today, I mean, Lord, have mercy. I tired my own self out praying. <laughs> because I thought that I had to give all that data. <laughs> and I'm looking at this text in a desperate place saying, God, teach me to pray. And I noticed that this man doesn't seem to have faith. Jesus doesn't pay that any attention. Jesus gives a quick, precise, 100% accurate prayer, and the man is healed instantaneously. And I said, God, I want to pray like that. Lord, teach me to pray like that. Teach me to be accurate in prayer. I want to be effective. Later, after this man is healed, he takes his mat and he does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. He picks up his mat and he starts walking with it and he is ecstatic. And my guess is he's causing a scene and some Jewish religious folks notice this guy carrying his mat. And they stop him because he got healed on the wrong day. How many of you all think he cared? <laughs> so he's happy and he's carrying his mat and he's getting his praise on and so would you. And they said, do you know that it is unlawful for you to get healed and be carrying your mat on the Sabbath? Do you know that that's against the rules? Now, I love a God who breaks the rules. I tell you, I thank God when he breaks into our human stuff and he breaks the rules. He interrupts our pre previously scheduled program. And here he is. And he says, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, after 38 years, I can't tell you nothing, but I, I got my mat. And they said, well, he said, the guy told me to pick it up. I picked it up and here I am having myself a high time in God in the temple for the first time standing on both my feet. Amen. You're not going to stop me. I command my feet to praise him. All right. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, they said, well, who was the guy who told you to take up your bed and walk? Now, how's this for faith? I have no idea. <laughs> he looks around. He's like, where is he? He was over here. Jesus has disappeared into the crowd. He literally doesn't know Jesus' name. And I came from a church where you had to call on Jesus. This guy doesn't even know that it is Jesus. Later on, while he's still carrying his mat, he was easy to spot. He was the dude with the mat on his hand. <laughs> Jesus came up to him and said, come here. <laughs> he said, you know, God has done a great thing in your life. But now I want to give you some post-prayer counsel. Stop sinning. 
Stop sinning. Clean up your life. Stop rebelling against God. Because something worse could come on you. Something worse than being sick. Something worse than not being able to move around. Stop rebelling against God so that you won't have to discover that there are worse things in life than not being able to move. And so he hears what Jesus says to him, and now he knows exactly who it is who has done this work in his life. And he goes back and he says to the religious folks, you know who it was? It was Jesus. It was Jesus who told me to take up my mat and walk. And so now they come and they confront Jesus about this healing on the Sabbath. And they say, you know what, Jesus? You're breaking the rules again. We're telling you, you're not supposed to do that wrong day. <laughs> and Jesus gives them what became a life-changing understanding for me in verse 17. He says to them, let me tell you something about I what I, that I understand about the Father. Let me give you my presupposition about the Father God. Presupposition number one, my Father is always working. That means in every situation, in every single room, in every single context, on every single day, God is already working. Oh, that thing began to bless me because I began to understand that there is not one day that God is not already ahead of the game. There's not one day that God is not working. There's not one situation that I step into that God's not already on the scene. Jesus says, don't get mad at me about what happened today. My father doesn't take a break. My father's not on vacation. Ah! Ah, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Says, my father is always working 365 days of the year. He's working Ten, uh, 12 months out of the year. He's working seven days a week. He's working 24 hours a day. He's working. My father is always working. And because my God, my father is working, I too am working. That made them mad. I'm telling you, religious folk, you got to watch them because they'll get ticked on you. And they got ticked with Jesus, mad with Jesus, didn't like what he said. And so they are now angry with him. And he goes on farther and he, because now he's saying, not only am I breaking the rules, but I'm also now saying, I want you to know something. I've got a relationship with that, that father. That father is my father. And they said, do you know what you're saying? And of course Jesus knew what he was saying. But then he said, look, let me just tell you something. I've come to do the will of my father but I don't do anything by myself. I only do what I see the Father doing. The Son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Now I ask you, what tense is that word sees? Past, present, or future? Present, present tense. Now that's instructive for us. Because Jesus is not saying that he did what he saw the Father doing prior to his incarnation. He's not saying that he's, do, he's doing what he believes the Father will do because of his faith. He says, I know something about God. God is always working. And when I come into a situation, I look to see what my Father is doing. And so don't be mad at me because I only do what I see in the present tense. Meaning God is present in human affairs. Not in the past, not in the future. In today, God is here. 
That's important for us to know. It will reframe our theology. It'll help us to understand that God is active in human affairs today. And so Jesus says, don't blame me about what happened to Brother 38. I was walking by the pool with my eyes open. I was walking by the pool as I do all the time, looking to see my father. The reason I didn't say anything to him to him yesterday, the reason I didn't talk to the lady over there, the reason I just talked to this one man is because today I could see what the father was doing and I had to stop. So I stopped and I simply said what I could see. I could see the man standing with his mat. That's how come Jesus was accurate in prayer because he only said what he could see. Ah, I grabbed my Bible. I began to wipe my face and I said, I got it, Lord. I see, I understand. I've been praying what I want for Justin. I haven't been praying what you have shown me. So help me to see what the Father is doing. The next day I went back to the hospital, armed with a new understanding of prayer. That prayer doesn't start with me, prayer starts with God. This is a dialogue, not a monologue. This is not my opportunity to give a laundry list to God about what's on my heart and my mind. This is a chance for me to speak and to listen. That prayer begins with my understanding that God's already there. That prayer begins with God's imperative, what God has done, then informs what I will do. The imperative precedes the declarative. Are you understanding me? And so I go back to the hospital, understanding that I'm going to follow God's lead. God's not going to follow my lead. And so I'm in the hospital. And I get in the room, and things don't look good. They're looking quite bad, if the truth be told. Justin is in a coma now. He's not looking very well, and Diane looks horrible. She's sitting by the bed. She's wringing her hands. She looks haggard. I don't think she slept all night. She definitely hadn't eaten. She couldn't remember when she'd eaten last. And so as I sat there with her and talked to her and tried to console her, I finally began to encourage her to go get something to eat. It took a long time to encourage that woman to leave that bedside. But finally, she agreed. And I promised her, I will not leave this room until you come back. So she leaves. And as she walks out the door, I notice that Justin's bedmate, the little boy in bed B, has guessed. So I get up and I quietly take the curtain and I close it around he and I so we can be alone with the Lord. I sit back down in that chair. I open my Bible and I start praying. I begin to ask the Holy Spirit to come, and I began asking the Lord to show me what the Father is doing. And so as I was praying, I said to the Lord things like this, Lord, if there's anything in my life, if there's sin in my life, if there's unconfessed things in my life that I'm not aware of or that I have somehow buried under the rug, would you bring them to my conscious mind that I could repent of them right now, that I can confess them before you so that nothing will cloud my ability to see you clearly? Come Holy Spirit. And as God brought things to my heart and my mind, I would confess them and put them under the blood and ask the Lord to come and cleanse me. For he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I sat in his presence and I just kept saying, Lord, show me the Father. Sometimes I would pray silently. Sometimes I would pray out loud. But I stayed in an attitude of watchfulness for the Father. I don't know how long I prayed. I wasn't looking at a, at a watch. I was focused on listening to the Father. But at some point... I want you to know I had some sort of a vision in my mind's eye, and I could literally feel this as if it were happening in the room. 
I could see Jesus come into the room. Justin was in bed A. The door to the room was right there, and there was a closet on this back wall. Jesus came in the room and st stood right in front of that closet. His arms were folded over his chest like this, and he was bent forward like everything in his body was bent toward Justin, like there was something in him. His bowels were just riveted, focused on this little boy. He wasn't looking at me or anything else. There was almost nothing else that was on Jesus' attention but Justin. I mean, total, total, total focus, like he was straining forward toward this boy. As I saw that vision, I got excited and started to try and help God. <laughs> so as I'm sitting in the chair and I'm watching this whole thing unfold, I literally started moving my own body. I said, come on, Jesus, all right, touch him. Because <laughs> Jesus wasn't moving. I was like, all right, Jesus, go, go, lay on the bed, touch him, <laughs> put your hand on him, spit. <laughs> I mean... Come on, Jesus. Like, we are in the bottom of the ninth here, Jesus. We need you to go, Jesus. Go. Come on, Jesus. Not once did he move. The entire time, didn't look to the left or right, head didn't move, just total like this. Just focused, just focused, totally, totally focused. When Diane came back into the room, I said to her, Diane, you'll never believe what I saw. I said, Jesus came in this room. And my brothers and my sisters, I know that sounds weird, but if I died today, Jesus came in that room. And I said to her, Diane, I am so sure Jesus is here. So far, I'm right. But then I went too far. And I said something like, you know, Diane, I know he's going to be healed. I know he's going to be healed. I said, because, and then you put a little scripture to help your point out. And I said, you know, because wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I know that God's going to free him. <sighs> Two days later, Justin went home to be with the Lord. And it hurt then, and it still hurts now. What I didn't tell you was that on one of those times when he was in remission and I went by the house, I had the awesome opportunity to lead that boy to Christ. And so one day I get to go home to heaven and I'm going to kick it with Justin and we're going to play Nintendo. And I'm looking forward to it. But God used that eight-year-old little boy to teach me how to pray. What I should have said to Diane, and I would have been 100% accurate in prayer, was, Jesus is here. I know that Jesus has come and he's present. That was true. I could have said to her, Jesus is focused on your son. There is nothing happening in this room that pertains to Justin that Jesus is not aware of. He is watching everything that pertains to this little boy. There is nothing more important. There's nothing that distracts him. There's nothing that takes his gaze off your boy. Diane, I don't know what he's going to do, but I declare to you, Jesus is aware and focused on your son. I could have said, Jesus, even in a comatose state, will you cause Justin to sense your presence here with him? Would you cause him to know that you're present? Would you let him feel your loving presence here, Lord? Because you can go beyond what doctors are able to do, cause him to know that you're right here. 
that would have been 100% accurate in prayer. But because of my arrogance and my insecurities, I said more than I could see. I'm getting better now. I'm getting to a place where I say what it is I see. I'm getting to a place where I'm declaring out of my mouth that which I see the Father doing. And I'm beginning to pray until I see something happen. I'm beginning to see results in prayer. I'm beginning to have more effectiveness in my prayer life. And I want you to know that I believe God is calling Woodland Hills Church to become a church of prayer. I believe that God is saying that you have taken on a huge task, this thing called reconciliation. And we're not going to do it in our own flesh. We've declared war on the devil. We have said to the kingdom of darkness that we are tearing it down. How dare we declare holy war and not come with spiritual weapons for the battle. Jesus wants to equip the church. Jesus wants to make it possible for us not to get ourselves whooped in the battle. Jesus doesn't want us to have to run with our tails between our legs because we went out prematurely and not clothed in the armor of the Lord. And I want you to know that one of the pieces of the armor that you must be equipped with is the ability to pray. And so today, I pray that you've heard me say that true prayer is the ability to participate with God in the earth, that we get to be people who hear and see the Father and declare His will on earth as it is in heaven. If you'll stand all over the building, I'd like to pray for you as we close this service all over the room if you'll just now do some private time with the Lord if you're reading my lips feel free to do that but if you can bow your heads and close your eyes and block out distractions around you please do so because I'm convinced that God is speaking to your church and that he's wanting to take you to a different level spiritually I gave an altar call in the first service and I have to do that right now I believe that God is raising up people of prayer. And I don't believe that that began with my sermon today. I believe that long before I came here, God has already been talking to people all over this room about the call to prayer. Who are you? Who are the people that God has been speaking to about the need to move forward in prayer? If you would raise your hands as an indicator, not to me, but to God the Father, that you recognize that he's not sending this word to you for nothing that he's calling forth an army of intercessors and that you are going to go to head of the, of the crowd in the battle. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Is there anybody else? Because we're not going to do this by ourselves. It's going to not be by might or power. It's going to be by the spirit of the living God moving through the people of God. Who else am I talking to? I don't care if every other hand is up. If yours is not up, obey God. Do a physical act of saying, yes, Lord. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Hallelujah. But more importantly, God sees you. Father, I pray for every hand that is held high. I say to you, Lord God, that you are raising an army of intercessors who will take over the earth. I say to you, Lord God, that their influence is going to be far sweeping, that it's going to go to the north, the south, the east, and the west. I hear the sound of the army of God, a new generation, oh God, that's on the march. And you are advancing them in the earth in the name of Jesus. Equip, empower, even commission them, oh God. I thank you for them right now. 
I thank you for the great and mighty work that you will do, not just in this church, but in the Twin Cities and in the world. Through the power of prayer, through the people of God, bless them, God. Anoint them, God. Equip them, God, in the name of Jesus. God bless you. You can put your hands down, and I'm going to ask Greg to join me now on the stage. If there are those of you here and you would say, you know, I've never come to know Jesus as my Savior. I realize I don't hear God or see God because I don't have a relationship with God. You don't have to leave here with that being the case. If you'll join my sister who's there at the table for those of you who would like to come to know Christ and just meet her there, she'd be happy with other workers to introduce you to Christ bring you to a place where you could walk with the Lord and you'll be able to start hearing the Father, your Father for yourself and seeing what he's doing, not just in your life, but in the life of others around you. And we've talked about prayer and we've stirred the very soul right now. And it's not fair to do that and not give you a chance to be prayed for and to have an opportunity to pray. So prayer uh, intercessors, prayer warriors are here and I'm gonna ask you to come up front now prayer ministers are here to serve you God bless you they're gonna be at the front and if you need prayer if there's something that God is saying to you if there's a fear that keeps you from moving forward if there are issues that you know you know what I now understand why I'm not getting answers to this thing I've been going about it in prayer wrong and now I know that I can pray differently God has changed my paradigm I can pray until something happens because I can begin to ask God to show me what he's doing. If you'd like to have someone agree with you in prayer, the prayer ministers are here to do exactly that. So, Pastor Greg. Amen. Let me just say one word here. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about Brenda is that she just shows how um, she had the humility to build a sermon around uh, a failure in her life. I love that. Uh, and th th that, that's a true principle as well. Every failure we have can be used for the glory of God if we submit it to him. Amen. And he builds something beautiful out of it. Uh, I just encourage you to go forward. Our job as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, is not to tell God what to do. It's to partner with what God is already doing. And so in every situation you're in, you can know that God is there already. He's working. He's always working. Learn to walk with an awareness of that. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Uh, keep that line of communication open. Just be asking, okay, Father, what are you doing what here? Are you doing? And it may give you an impression, may give you a picture, maybe a kind of an impulse or whatever, but, but be obedient to that and partner with what God's doing. And that's how his will gets done in earth as it is in heaven, in our marriages as it is in heaven, with our kids as it is in heaven, in our neighborhoods as it is in heaven, with our businesses as it is in heaven. Just partner with what God is already doing. That's our job. Go out and do the kingdom. The altar is open if you want to come forward for prayer. God bless you.